Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, I'm Chris Penwell from ActiveQuest. And I'm Joseph Yaden. We are a video game podcast that takes a deep dive into the news, covering the latest gaming trends and stories pertaining to the industry. We also do our best to cover the most recent games and like to have an ongoing discussion with the audience. You can contact us on Twitter at ActiveQuestShow or via email at activequestpodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. You can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Play. We appreciate you listening, everyone. And now, on to the show. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another episode of Arcast Mini. So this is basically a short-form podcast episode, uh, basically kind of focused on a particular topic. Uh, in this particular case, we are welcoming in the creator of the Broken Sword franchise, Charles Cecil. So how's it going there, Charles? Oh, it's going well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Like like uh, like George Stobbard, you're you're a new you're a newcomer to the Discord world and the Art Podcast world. Welcome. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. So I suppose we should get started with where all this began. Obviously, the series got its start back in the 90s, where we're talking about the original 1996 release, The Shadow of its of the Templars, uh, getting off on the right foot uh, with a game developed by, by yourself and Revolution Software. And this actually came out, uh, I believe, at the same time for a console alongside the PC version. So it was actually an adventure game that console gamers could get into as well. Yeah, and that was amazing. It was the first PlayStation. And um, we, we thought that it might work, work well on the PlayStation 1, which had only just come out. And there wasn't very much interest because the publishers in particular thought that uh, PlayStation uh, gamers just wanted to play visceral 3D games. Mm. And yeah. so we eventually managed to convince Sony to publish it. They weren't enormously excited. Um, but what they did is they cover-mounted the game on the official PlayStation magazine in the UK, Germany, and France. And they had circulations of 600,000 for each. And it suddenly reached a totally new audience. It was brilliant, and it sold really well. And it, Sony were absolutely blown away by its success. And one of the things that really excited me was that when the official PlayStation magazine ran a poll of their favorite of their readers for them for their favorite PlayStation game uh, of all time, uh, Broken Sword Two came in at about number six, and Broken Sword uh, One came in at about number eight or nine. Um, and you know we were beating so many of the really really big franchises. It was absolutely amazing. It was it was one of our big breaks being able to get PlayStation to directly uh, publish the game. 
Mm. And uh, what was the, um, like, I guess, like, the biggest surprising, um, like, the biggest title, I guess, that you were, like, surprised that you beat out, I guess, like, on the, on the PlayStation 1? It was a long time ago. Um, but we were up there against the Metal Gear Solids. We were up there against the Tomb Raiders. We were up there um, against Wipeout. Oh, wow. I, I mean, if you think how many huge games that were coming out at that time, I mean, absolutely blew me away. But But that's because what the publishers... The, the publishers were absolutely clear in their minds what the audience wanted. And they kind of super focused on the hardcore gamers. And they didn't seem to take into account that actually, you know, video games are extraordinarily broad. There's, there's, there's a very wide range of people who want a, a wide range of entertainment. And, and so they were, they were um, in many ways uh, discounting the idea that anybody would want to play an adventure game. But it was an incredibly popular, it's an incredibly popular genre. Um, but this game was very popular. We, we were blown away, and they were particularly blown yeah, away. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of funny. The PlayStation at the time, you could have popular franchises like Twisted Metal, Tomb Raider, but you could also have games that fit into a certain niche. You know, you had stuff like Discworld. You had, um, you know, stuff like Lemmings. You had stuff that could really access to different audiences. And I think that's why the PlayStation took off the way it did, because Sony had so much interest in getting different types of games available for it, so it covered all bases. And Broken Sword obviously fit right into there giving a classic point and click style adventure for those who wanted it even if say the playstation controller wasn't originally built with point and click in mind oh indeed and we did we did there was an advert for a mouse and so many people bought mice because nice. um but 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 also gamers were very different then and, and i kind of apologize i say but, but but they were clunky controls oh yeah <laughs> and do you know what people they say they say we don't care <laughs> we don't care. Or we bought a mouse. Or, you know, the, 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 game, the game before that was a game called Beneath the Steel Sky. Mm. And that came on 16 floppy disks. Oh, wow. And when people say, God, we played it on, and I said, all that disk swapping. And again, they say, at the time, we didn't care. It was great. Well, you cared if you lost, if you lost like disc thirteen. Where is it? I need to finish this. Yeah, game. that's true Where too. Yeah, that was very much like a struggle back then. Oh. I know, like if you like lose like a disc or CD or whatever of like a you know like a multi disc or multi like floppy disc game. Mom, what you do with it? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, like you know, that's like really interesting though, because like obviously like the like, you know within the console space, uh, point and click adventure games just generally weren't known to be like a really good fit for that so i you know i, I was kind of curious like you know what what made you like want to put uh, put like the broken sword franchise onto consoles in the first place when like the pc markets just seemed like that was like the right fit for that genre that's that's a great question but remember we're, we're looking back to now to 1996 or so mm -hmm. 19 uh 1996 1997 and um in in those days uh at revolution we'd never talked to any of the other console um, manufacturers. Nobody had actually contacted us. We didn't know who they were. Uh, and then uh, a gentleman called Phil Harrison phoned up. And he, uh, I'd known him previously. He'd done some work for me. Uh, and he said, look, I'm working for Sony now. We have this, uh, this new console called the PSX. Um, would you like to come, have along? Uh, come along and have a look? So, you know, a small number of uh, European developers came. We were absolutely blown away because it, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but it had a, a, a dinosaur that was mm. so much more advanced mm. than anything else. And, uh, and clearly with the Sony brand behind it, it was, it was always going to do well, and, and, and it did. But in, in many ways, it was quite detrimental to the more uh, niche genres because Sony was so successful that all the retailers, and of course the only way you could get your game 
to, to a gamer back in those days was through retail. Um, the retailers focused more and more on PlayStation games um, to the detriment of PC. And then what also happened was that the publishers decided that the audience just wanted these visceral 3D games. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy because they only commissioned visceral 3D games. And it became really super focused on the hardcore audience, very much to the detriment of a broader audience. And I think that that, 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 that blinkered view of so many publishers at that time led to um, a games becoming... Um, well, well game, games that weren't on the mainstream becoming very marginalized because they weren't supported by publishers, so therefore they weren't supported by retail. Hmm. Makes sense, yeah. And, like, you know, it, it is, uh, like, amazing, actually, to kind of see, like, how, like, the marketing was back then, like, you know, especially, like, with, you know, within, you know, with, like, the PS1 era, uh, that being, like, right at the crux of, like, when 3D gaming uh, was becoming a thing, really. So, like, you know, everyone's kind of, like, wanted to, like, transition over to that. That was, like, the future, like, for gaming. So, like, 2D games in general just were just kind of, like, cast aside, it seems. And, um, yeah, well, that, that's a very interesting point. If I can just interrupt you for one sure, second. Yeah. Because I think the thing about, you know, if you're playing a, um, a first-person shooter, then, then you're, you're shooting at characters. It doesn't matter how believable they are. Um, and, and they can be made up of low polys um, with, with level of detail. But in an adventure game, you need to believe the motivations and the emotions of characters. And so the, the problem with that, of course, is that if you have very crude characters, because that's all you can do within the technology that exists at that time, then the adventure just doesn't work at all. So those early adventure games that, that moved to 3D really um, were, were not well received because the very essence of what makes an adventure game which is, as I say, the the, the empathy um, and the believability of the motivation of the characters. Like the story and all that, yeah. Absolutely, I was was about to say, when it it came to the creation of the series, what did you think was the most important factor? Did you think it was the story, the characters that get themselves involved with the story, the design of the game, or did it all just really come together in terms of, um, of the game's general design? I don't, I don't think games ever really come together. Well, adventure games don't because they're really hard work. They're much harder. Than, it's much harder to write an adventure game than it is to write a film or a book or a linear medium. And that's because um, what our difficulty is, is that we have to write the story, which is as good as a linear story, with characters that have the characterization. But on top of that, we have to then weave that into puzzles. So... Uh, the way that, I mean, I guess there are three elements when I when I come up with a broken sword game. The first one is what is the backstory that is going to resonate into the modern day and why is it exciting and how does it translate into the modern day in a way that is interesting? Then the, the second thing is is the story in the modern day as George and Nico will experience it. And then thirdly, of course, is the actual gameplay itself and how we can best make the gameplay mold into the story. So basically... The, the, the backstory gets written first, and, and then I'll write the story and the design, the puzzles in parallel. And the story will be affected by great puzzles, and great puzzles will be affected by the story. Now, they're separate documents, but they're always being brought up, and they're always moving forward in parallel relative to each other. For the original Broken Sword, you know, it starts off with uh, an American comes to Paris, and um, he meets this sort of sassy French woman, young woman, and they almost get killed in an explosion involving the Knights Templar. And, you know, that that sounds very much like the Da Vinci Code, and some people say that it is. But, of course, 
Broken Sword came out five years before, more than five years before the Da Vinci Code. So many of our friends are, sorry, many of our fans are absolutely convinced that a, a young Dan Brown must have played Broken Sword <laughs> and taken inspiration. But I have to say, I, I would never make that claim myself. Right. Well, it, it's it's funny, though, because of the fact that you did work on a the uh, the Da Vinci Code game, actually, like later on, right? I, I did, and I, and I really, really enjoyed it. I, I um. I, I've always felt slightly competitive with the Da Vinci Code because we are <laughs> treading in the same in the same arena. Sure. Um, and uh, uh, the, the when um, when Take Two decided to license the game uh, and publish it, they actually got in touch with me, uh, and you know I was, I was very flattered, but but I was doing lots of other things. And then um, the, the the head of Take Two over in um, Los Angeles uh, phoned me up and he said, "Look, I know you haven't agreed to do this, but but to, to do this, but could you come and meet with Ron Howard?" Hmm. And I said, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, that sounds fun. That's fun. He said, we'll pay your fare, airfare, we'll put you up in a nice hotel, we'll really look after you. I went, that's great, but I don't know anything about the game. And he went, don't need to know anything about the game. Just just come to the meeting, and, and that's all. Mm-hmm. I said, really? And he went, yeah, yeah, that's all you need to do. And I went, gosh, this Hollywood gig is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, flew over, went to Los Angeles, stayed in a nice hotel, turned up in Imagine. And uh, I was met by the, the senior vice president of, of Sony Pictures, and she was great. And she said, Charles, thank you so much for coming. It's great to have you here. Just the fact that you're here means the world, but it's going to be really contentious. So, you know, just, just keep your head down. I went, great, great. So, you know, walked in, felt great. And in walks Ron, and uh, he says, guys, I, I, don't think there's gonna, you know, I don't think there should be a game. And she says, Ron, there's going to be a game. Uh, there's a contract. There's going to be a game. So he says, "Okay, it's got to come six months later than the um, film." Mm-hmm. Ron, it's going to be day and date. That's what the contract says. Ron, in that case, no marketing. And silence. She says, "Ron, there's going to be a game. It's going to be day and date, and there's going to be marketing." So he says, "What are you going to do with my story?" And she hmm. says, quick as a heartbeat, she says, "I'm so pleased you asked that question, Ron." Because we've flown this guy all the way from England, and he's going to tell you what we're going to do with the story. So everybody's <laughs> okay. kind of looking around the room, including me. And I realize, of course, that I'm the guy from England who's going to tell Ron what we're going to do with his story. With and, his story, and, yeah. And like, <laughs> exactly. And, That's crazy. And, and, and actually, it was really fun because, you know, I started – telling him about you know what 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 ideas i'd had in terms not so much for the story but generally so you know for example um in medieval paintings um the situation will change the 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 art style will change you know everything will change except for the symbolism and that is that the virgin mary will always be wearing blue and mary magdalene will always be wearing red and and a medieval audience will recognize that and they will know who those characters are and um, it all went really well. We actually got on really well. And, um, and, and a lot of the ideas that, that I gave him actually ended up in the film. Mm, okay. um, although I have to say, I think he must have forgotten to put my name in there. As a <laughs> but anyway, you know, that's, that's fine. A slight that, detail. No yeah. Made by whoever, you know. <laughs> but but I, it was lovely. It was, I, I, and, I, and I really enjoyed, you know, working with them. And um, it, was a, it was a great privilege. And, you know, I, lo- I love the way that, you know, that um, – so many of these creatives from film and television, indeed comic books, uh, are really passionate about video games and vice versa. Um, you know, convergence is a bit of a cliche, but, you know, creative convergence, people 
spanning multiple disciplines, I think is really interesting and is, 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 is definitely been happening for years. We've really been seeing that a lot more lately. Like yesterday, um, the new Spider-Man game came out and it, it transcends reaching a certain type of audience. You know, it's like, oh, video gamers love it, but comic book fans love it too. And people who watch the movies, they'll get into it as well. And having a product that has that sort of outreach you know, where you didn't really expect it. I mean, that that's a thing that's really, um, really surprising at times. Like when you see a game that has a greater reach than you could have expected. And as a result, I mean, if you take a look at my Twitter timeline, it's all Spidey selfies. <laughs> it, it, it's nuts. It's nuts right now. But I, I just love it when a game experience, you know, transcends, you know, all the all the hatred or it transcends all the questionability. You'd be like, wow, this is really amazing. Yeah. Well, of course, with Beneath the Steel Sky, we worked with Dave Gibbons um, of Watchmen fame. And, you know, that was a, a you know, a real privilege and a huge pleasure. Um, we, for, for, for Broken Sword, for Broken Sword 5, uh, Broken Swords 1, 2, and 5, we worked with a uh, very talented composer called Barrington Thelong, um, who, you know, is a television and a film composer. And his wife, uh, who's lovely, Heather, um, played a lot of video games and they played the video games together and um, you know he was very keen and, and, and as indeed was I for him to actually work with us uh, and it worked extremely well I mean one of the things I've tried to do throughout the history of revolution is collect talented people so that you know I can put always put a, a, a you know great team together um, and there are you know, two people come in, I guess, two sides. One who are incredibly experienced at, at writing video games in whatever discipline, uh, and those that can cross multiple disciplines with their particular talent. And uh, I think a great team includes, you know, many from both sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, um, like, yeah, that's always been kind of like the fascinating thing with video games for me, like, as far as like how they're made, because like they're, they're composed of so many different components, really. Um, you know, as far as like the design, the programming, like, you know, with like uh, sound, music, uh, all that stuff. So like, it, it's always like a mini miracle, really, whenever you see like a game be made, uh, you know, from, you know, to completion. Um, and you, you, it, was, it was interesting, too, that you mentioned there, like, you know, with, with the composer, like who you worked with for uh, for Broken Sword 1, 2 and 5, because those are like more like the 2D ones. Um, because like there was like a point like in uh, Broken Sword 3 and 4, like when, when it went into like the 3D realm. Um, so was that decision as far as like going into 3D for, you know, for those particular games, uh, due to, I guess, like pressure in order to try to kind of keep up with conventional gaming design or? Actually, it's, it goes back to the point that I was making earlier that, that retail, uh, well, retailers and publishers didn't believe that 2D still had a place. So what we needed to do to have a publisher fund the game and for a retailer to stock it was actually to move to 3D and say, this is the future of adventure games. That's not to say that a lot of people don't really like Broken Sword 3. Um, but, you know, some, many people say that it's their favorite of all of them. Um, but clearly, it was a big departure stylistically from what we'd done before. Uh, Broken Sword 5 very much moves back towards that hand-drawn look in terms of you know, working with comic book layout artists, sorry, um, cartoon layout artists, um, and and seeking to recreate that hand drawn animation look. Gotcha. Yeah, and like it's uh, it, it's just really interesting to kind of see like how um, 
you know, just like games in general just have, you know, have kind of like evolved in that sense, like where like everything had to be 3D, like very much like in the PlayStation, PlayStation 2 era. And now we're like in an age where it seems like anything is possible at this point, as far as like, you know, going back to older style games or pushing the envelope for 3D style games, um, you know, having games that are like are for like, you know, your hardcore audience, your casual audience. Um, so like, like, does this kind of feel like, I guess, like the perfect time for not only just like the Broken Sword franchise, but for point and click adventure games, period, to kind of come back in a big way? I think it's a perfect time for, for adventures per se, uh, because the, the, the genre is very, very wide. And I would say that, you know, her story from last year was an adventure. Uh, her story is a good one. Yeah, it, it's a great game. It's a great game. And it feels innovative. It feels new. It feels fresh. Um, likewise, you know, life is strange in, 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 in the way that you can rewind time. And that's a great puzzle mechanic. Uh, there, there, there are, and then, then of course you have the Quantic Dream games. Um, David Cage. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. David Cage. Now, uh, I, I would say that I, I, I think what's interesting about the Quantic Dream games is that if there was a definition for an adventure, then I, and I suspect most people would say that the, control interface would be primarily cerebral rather than requiring manual dexterity and of course being a playstation game what they tend to do is they tend to drive the gameplay through manual dexterity rather than cerebral um but 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 it just shows how broad the adventure genre is and so it, it is a great area to be in of course we don't sell as many as fifa or as many as a first person shooter but the core thing is that our audience is very passionate and they will remember the games. When, when, when I have the privilege of meeting people who are Broken Sword fans, you know, they will talk about the moment when they first played the game and you, know, you had the iconic intro or um, they cried because uh, a character died or, or, or whatever. And so to us, uh, to our audience, adventures are much more profound in the way they communicate their entertainment than pretty much any other medium. And, and, and I'm kind of proud of that because so many people remember what they were doing when they played a broken sword game or, 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 or other adventures in a way that they wouldn't remember when they played a more mainstream game. And, and, and I think because of that, we can, we can be proud of the, of the genre because of its profundity and the way that it actually affects people. Not to mention that, you know, the people you inspire to to try and do their own thing. Like there's there's one game out there called Thimbleweed Park that is a terrific example in the point and click genre. Thimbleweed Park, of course, was from Ron Gilbert, um, who, who who's very experienced. But what what I thought was so brilliant about Thimbleweed Park is instead of just saying we're just gonna do an old pixelated, old fashioned pixelated point and click adventure. What they did is they're going to say, we're going to capture the essence of what you loved, but actually it's going to be brought totally up to date. And I think that's really, really interesting in, in, in regards to both looking forward from a technical perspective and then also looking backwards um, at the nostalgia at those games like um, Dare the Tentacle or the early Monkey Islands created. And, and nostalgia is actually quite a powerful force in this, as, as long as you don't rely on it absolutely. I think it, it, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you bring a brand back that people remember, 
then they, they will take note. Now they might hate it and they you know might well not buy it, but but at least people will notice notice it. And and there are so many games out there, particularly from indies, that being able to transcend the noise so people actually have a look at it is incredibly valuable. Yeah, and with um with like Thimbleweed Park, I mean like the brand, like, you know, even though it, you know it is like a you know like a new like franchise that deviates away from uh, you know from like Day of the Tentacle and like you know game, game, games like that, the the brand really is with Ron Gilbert himself, and that was kind of the big selling point, especially when they went to Kickstarter for it. Absolutely. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, like it, it 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 is cool to kind of see like I guess like you know this this is a brand new point and click adventure game like in in regards to Thimbleweed Park, and uh, it was able to kind of like you know, still kind of push things along and find like its audience, much like how the Broken Sword franchise, you know, found like, you know, its own audience too. Uh, just like over the years, like over the, what's well, been now 22 years now <laughs> that the franchise has been, uh, been around for. 19, so. From 1996. But, but the, the interesting thing about the Broken Sword is a Broken Sword audience is that it kind of goes into three elements. We've got the original PC guys. Um, then we've got the people who were drawn into the PlayStation um, back in 1997, who were quite a different, a much broader, much more casual audience. But then when we were, you know, from the early 2000s, the whole industry worked really, really badly for independent developers. Um, we were losing money um, from games that were very successful. And so something had to change. And, um, you know, we, we, we made a loss of hundreds of thousands of pounds on, on, on Broken Sword 3, for example, and it made our publisher, THQ, about $5 million. And, and, and that, was, that was just the way that the, the recruitment model was, 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 was um, because of the price of games, it just wasn't working out at all. But so we had to stop for, for a number of years, and that's why I worked on the Da Vinci Code, and I worked on a, on a, on a television, British television a franchise called Doctor Who. Mm. And yeah, so that was yeah. great. And we, we were kind of sitting, sitting there going, I mean, I don't know what we do because it just makes no sense. Um, and then Apple, uh, somebody from Apple, um, a gentleman called Paul Burford, uh, phoned us up and he said, you know, the iPhone, and, and we kind of thought that Steve Jobs was just brilliant and loved what Apple was doing, loved the iPhone. Uh, and he phoned up and he said, look, we're, we're planning to expand the App Store and, and we're looking for games and we think point of click games would translate and that was the beginning of a you know that was the renaissance for us we could we could transcend the the, the publishing model that just hadn't worked for us at all and we could publish directly on on the app store and that just changed everything for us i mean that's that's actually like like where i played like beneath the steel sky actually was you know almost through like the app store um it's, just, it's like funny enough that you know that you mentioned that because uh, like it was always a game that i always heard of uh, but i just never got around to when when it originally came out uh, but you know it is great to see that um that like these older games these are the games that i guess otherwise just wouldn't really see the light of day because they are not like you know massive franchises or anything yeah, yeah. um to kind of have like that second lease of life and have uh have like you know people who either missed out on it like me um or who you know or who may you know may have been like too young really to kind of know about these games kind of go back and be able to experience them again yeah no no that that, that that's the, 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 I mean, the other thing that, uh, I, I, mean, I hate to admit it, but uh, the, the first, you know, Beneath the Steel Sky was actually written for DOS. Mm. So when Windows 98 stopped supporting DOS, you know, the game effectively was dead. Um, and we were, we were very lucky because a group called ScumVM, uh, obviously based the name Scum on, on the LucasArts engine, um, but they asked us for the source code and they said that they'd rewrite it. And to us, there was no value in the game because nobody could play it. 
mm-hmm. um, it'll come out on ST, Atari ST, uh, Amiga, and PC. Uh, obviously, the ST and Amiga were dead uh, as as formats, and 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 it wasn't working on PC because when uh, because uh, DOS wasn't supported anymore. And so they 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 reinvented it, and it came out. And we thought, well, since since it was of no value to us, we might as well give it away for free, which kind of felt a little bit foolhardy at the time. But it was fantastic because in those days there were very very few free games, so millions and millions and millions of people played it on the ScumVM emulator, which was was fantastic. And we kind of owe, owe ScumVM a, a huge debt of gratitude in in the work that they did for that. Yeah, and now it, it's almost like everything is coming full circle again for Broken Sword because later this month Broken Sword Five will make its way to Nintendo Switch. Uh, which, as everybody knows, is a platform that truly embraces indie games. It's like the go-to place. It's like a lot of indie games really thrive on this platform. You know, like Blossom Tales on Nintendo Switch sold 20 times more than it did on Steam. You know, it's a place in which players really love to come and play these games that they missed out on here. And and now you must be excited to see Broken Sword open up to a whole new audience, not only at home, but being able to take this game on the go as well. I mean, the Switch is, is an awesome awesome device isn't it i mean it's just great and clearly it's called the switch because you can switch between handheld and um docking it at home and that that's kind of exactly our audience uh people playing the game maybe on their way to work coming home and you know one of the things that our 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 programmer yoast who who by the way was actually part of the scum vm team that translated beneath the steel sky came to the company for a couple of days and then never left. Um, but he, he he was working on the on on the control system and it was like, well, do we do touch screen? Do we do um, using the the, the Joy Con? And um, then one day he said, look, I think you're going to like this. And he showed me and you touch the screen and this is what the final control system uh, w- works as is you touch the screen and it's um, touch screen control. But the moment you touch the Joy Con then suddenly it changes to Joy-Con control. So you're seamlessly switching between the two, which actually works really, really well. And that's on the basis that, you know, you take the device, you might not want to put the Joy-Con controllers in, you can play it one way. You know, when you then put it on, the the, the assets, all the assets are in 1080p. So, you know, if you sit and um, play it through the television, then you'll have a full HD experience. So what we really wanted to do was to, to offer people you know, really high quality, super detailed HD um, ex- uh, adventure experience, which they could either play on the go or they could play at home, and yeah. and, and that was very much our objective. I mean, I because I, I, I have an uh, I, you know I have an early copy actually of Broken Sword Five on on the Switch, and I was kind of t- testing that out actually because I always figured that like with a point and click adventure game, it just makes all the sense in the world that you'd be able to use uh, touchpad controls uh, in order to like you know to move you know move your your characters around or to investigate like certain things or whatever. Um, and you know it, de- it definitely works very well. Like you know, just kind of speaking from my own experience with it, and uh, you know, it, it definitely seems like a good fit. Uh, you know, again, not only for broken sword games, but just for all point and click adventure games, really. Um, so you know, that, that's really great to see. Um, now, with with Broken Sword Five coming to the Switch, uh, is there like a chance maybe we'll see like the rest of the franchise come to Switch as well? Oh, right. One one of the and, and it's you know one of the most flattering things is we are being bombarded by people saying asking the same question. Um, the truth is that for Broken Swords 1 and 2, they were produced in 64480. 
which was the high resolution at the time. And we, I absolutely knew that we were never going to do any more versions. I mean, why, why would one ever want to do a new version? So we <laughs> kind of kept some of the assets. And I remember going to the, to the dump and getting rid of some of the DAT tapes because, you know, I knew it would never go. And, and we've kept all the artwork, all, all the original artwork, paper artwork, but we just didn't have any of the, the, the like the Photoshop files. And it, I know, but, but it sounds insane now, but, but I promise you, uh, until, until the iPhone came out, there really was no sense that you would ever republish an old game on a new platform. So the sense that you needed to keep the assets, the, there was no sense whatsoever. So um, we, we would absolutely love to bring the games across but we would need to then redraw the assets. And that's mm. quite a major, major job. But, but it is something that's very much on our list. And as I say, I'm absolutely humbled that so many people are so passionate and they keep asking us this question. So, you know, one day, yes, but it's not something that we're working on at the moment. And I'll tell you this, one other neat feature that I want to talk about with the Switch version is that this one actually takes a look behind the scenes. Like videos unlock over the course of the adventure uh, in which members of the team, I believe that includes you as well, uh, you talk about the creation of the game. and it, It's kind of an interesting glimpse, if you will, of what goes into the creation of an adventure game, uh, particularly for the Switch. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, what, what we wanted to do was, I mean, this is the ultimate version. Um, it has come out on other versions, but this is the one that pulls together all of the cool extra assets, all of the experience, all of the tweaking of the gameplay, just to make the puzzles as, as intuitive as possible. But we felt that on top of all of that and the control system, that we ought to add something that was unique, something that was special to the Switch version. So um, we'd, we'd actually recorded um, throughout development, uh, and, uh, and I was kind of inspired by Tim Schafer and the fact that he'd got a team in to, um, to film development of Broken Age. Um, so we, we, we got a, a, a camera team to come in from time to time and just record some footage, some of which we then published in the 25th anniversary. But a lot of it was um, had, had never been shown. So it, it struck me that um, if you play through a game, then what we could do is offer elements relating to the backstory, relating to the way that the technology had been developed and um, the, the way the puzzles were designed and just give us some sort of insight across all of these elements. Because as you were saying earlier, developing a video game is ultra complex because there are so many creator, creative elements that need to sync. And um, I, I, I would say this because I'm a, a video game developer rather than a filmmaker, but I, I really do think that there are so many more things. We have extra dimensions that none of those people um, need to worry about. And, and, and I just thought it might be an interesting insight for our audience. So we've got, I think it's 10 uh, fairly short movies, but they unlock after elements that they refer to, that they relate to, are, are passed by the player. So, you know, the first one is uh, explaining how we came about with the art style for those opening screens. Then we talk about the technology. Then we talk about the backstory. So hopefully that's going to come across as interesting to the audience who, 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 who have an, have a, have a, are inquisitive about how video games are put together. Mm. It's almost like kind of like director's commentary, I guess, if you think yes. of it that way. Exactly, yes, <laughs> yes. 
In fact, in fact, I could have saved you an awful lot of time and said it's a director's commentary, and then that would have been the question. <laughs> <wouldn't it? laughs> That's why I'm here, so it's a bridge thing. So, <laughs> uh, keep it in mind for next game. Um, keep it in but, mind for next game. There it is. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so like, it, it is interesting, though. Uh, you know, and I, d- I did want to like touch on this at some point, so I, I may as well make it now. Um, that there was like talks, uh, I guess, like in the past about making a broken sword movie at some point, and now those talks have seemed to kind of like die down, like over time. Do you know anything in regards to like a broken sword movie if it's you know still being made or like what ha- may have happened like with those talks? Yeah, that's it's it's a very interesting question, and um, I, I have been approached by a number of studios and and talked to them, and um, there's always this sense of there's always the sense of what the story should be. Should it be the first one? Uh, because obviously, in 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 any movie, then um, George needs to meet Nico at the beginning. Um, should it be based on the latest one? Should it be based on something new? And we've never quite worked that out with the studios that we've talked to. But there's again been a huge change, and that is the disruption of uh, of Netflix, uh, Amazon, uh, and now Apple, and also the move from the fact that films were, were clearly king. And now in many ways, television is king. I mean, the, the, we, we all know how superb the, the television that's coming out uh, from you know, channels like HBO is and, and how competitive. And, and you know, when Amazon and, and Apple go up, you know, they're, they're not short of, uh, of a few dollars. So it's an extraordinary, extraordinary area to be in. So, you know, my sense is that while, while we've been, you know, talking to an, a number of studios about potentially doing a film, actually, I think that television is probably the more interesting area to be in. It seems like um, kind of like a better fit, too, just like with the way that like the, the franchises. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because you know, the thing is that there was, a, there was actually a television series that, um, that I watched called... Uh, Hooch, the lady and Hooch, Hooch and the lady, which attempted to get a a story into uh, an hour, but it had all the subtlety and all the historical elements, and they had to work so hard. They shoehorned it in, and that meant that they made enormous narrative leaps that kind of were a little bit illogical, and the uh, the, the series was very expensive to make and wasn't hugely popular. And, and wasn't then recommissioned. And I think actually, because there's so much historical background, there's so much narrative, wouldn't it be great, I'm asking as a rhetorical question, wouldn't it be great to actually have just a little bit more time so that you can end on cliffhangers and you can go deeper into the historical aspects and tell a story over, what, three, four, five hours rather than over 90 minutes? I mean, that's that's kind of like, you know, and not like it's going by like, the exact same formula, but that's kind of like how I see like with Vince Gilligan and like, you know, with, with the way that he does like with like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, like, you know, he really kind of sinks into like, you know, the motivations of characters and uh, just like the way that the story is kind of laid out and like leaving those kind of cliffhangers really for you to kind of really mull over and think about until like the next episode pretty much. Um, you know, so like, it, it's like you said, like television is kind of king and streaming certainly is king in that, in that sense. Yeah, very much so. And, and what a great couple of, you know, epi- what, what great franchises. I mean, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Breaking Bad was so brilliant. And, 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 you know, when I first thought about Better Call Saul, you know, oh, it feels like a little bit of a cheaper, what a brilliant, I, I, but, but don't give <laughs> me any corners because I've only got as far as the, the, the first series, finishing the first series. 
Um, oh, first first season, you mean? Of, first, a, season, of first, part, first season. Um, and 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 absolute genius. And and as you say, I mean, what a great way to be able to pack so much emotional um, backstory into. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it, yeah, a great. I, I would use that example every time. I think that it's a terrific couple of um, series. Mm. Wait until you get to season three, and now with season four coming, uh, you know, with that running now, actually, um, se- season three I think is kind of the strongest one. Not to get into Better Call Saul talk very much, but it, it, it is an amazing season for sure. Like once you get into that yeah, one, so yeah, so I look forward to that. I did have another question here. Um, Obviously, Broken Sword 5 came out a little while ago. Huge Kickstarter success, and now it's about to come out for Nintendo Switch. Um, where can we expect the Broken Sword series to go from here, or have you planned that far ahead yet? I'm writing you know, writing ideas down for, 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 for another one, of course. Um, it's, it's, uh, the, 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 the thing that's quite interesting is you, you dance, we, we, we dance around Indiana Jones um, in many ways because... You know, uh, their first one involved um, South American Mayans, and uh, that was mm-hmm. our second one. Then they went to the Templars, which was our first one. Um, and there are certain um, backstories that really resonate with an audience. And um, I, I'm really excited by, 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 by the next one and, 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 and the ideas, and, and they feel fresh and they feel – but it's, it's not something that you can pump out because there, there aren't that many – backstories that actually do feel exciting and new to a contemporary audience um mm-hmm. but you know not wishing to give any spoilers away I'm, I'm 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 very excited by the story i'm writing now but it's it's, it's still going to be a couple of years before before there's another broken sword we'll certainly enjoy this one for the time being of course so <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely, yeah, and that, and 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 with Broken Sword Five, the Serpent's Curse that will be coming out on Nintendo Switch on September twenty first. Um, so very, you know, so very soon here. And um, so far, I could say, like, just like from my own playthrough, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's really faithful to um, you know, to like the Broken Sword franchise to like uh, just like you know, point and click adventure games in general. Um, so definitely one to kind of pick up if that's you know, if that's your jam, basically. So, um, so we're, we're we're like really excited to uh, you know to kind of see how the Nintendo Switch version um, you know sells for you here. Uh, you know here charles and um you know we, you know we hope it does really well for you right well thank you very much thank you thank you yeah yeah because it's success who knows maybe one day you can circle back around you never know that's right yeah. that's the thing about these games there, there's always appeal somewhere that's the thing exactly it's like it's like a serpent in, the, in a perpetual curse of eating it's itself like the, <laughs> it's like the sword is being reformed yes i think i think the the ouroboros which is what you're which is the, the, that that's a gnostic symbol and it is the idea of the rebirth and and the snake eating itself yes absolutely very cool very, very cool. cool um yeah so um for so like for for people like to find like more information on broken sword on you and like the rest of your work there there, there charles where where can people go okay well um best place is probably our website which is uh revolution.co.uk or .co.uk and um, there is, we will have information about all the Broken Sword games, but obviously Broken Sword 5 is the, the latest and the greatest and the, the highest resolution and um, uh, all those great things that make, you know, are important for adventure games. Um, and, you know, as, as I said, we're, we're very proud of our community. They're fantastic. If you're into 
you know, more cerebral games, then, you know, point-and-click adventures are absolutely perfect for you. And even if you're not and you've got quite a diverse taste, you know, have a look, see if it's the sort of thing. Because it's basically what, what a point-and-click adventure for people who don't play them is it's, it's effectively, I guess, like a detective game. What you're doing is you're solving crimes. And as you solve those crimes, so the narrative drives forward. And as, as it does so, so it gets in, in the same way that, you know, Breaking Bad or, or, or Better Call Saul would do, it, it gets wider and wider so that all of these sort of subs, subplots start opening up. And um, I very much base the approach from a narrative perspective on television and film because I think that, you know, a modern audience wants a very diverse and a very rich and a very multi, um, uh, multiple plots all running uh, and, and all closing. And, you know, that's, that's very much what our approach has been. Very cool. Very cool. Let's say mission accomplished so far then in that case. So very, very Thank good. You. And uh, yeah, if you want to find ArgCast on Twitter, we are at ArgPodcast. Same thing for Facebook. We're at Facebook.com slash ArgPodcast. And if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at the Guilty Man. Well, follow me on Twitter. It's at Twitter.com slash the DCD. You can also check out my work at ComicBook.com slash gaming. Indeed. And uh, we are partnered with Don't Feed the Gamers, so, so be sure to check them out at Don'tFeedTheGamers.com. That's run by our good friend Leona Ruppert, so be sure to show her and her team there a lot of love over there. Uh, there's, you know, also if you want to send us any like feedback, any like questions, any like retro games you want us to cover or anything at all, really, you could email us at rcast at retrozap.com and be sure to check out retrozap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts, especially of the Star Wars variety. There is Bruise and Blasters, Kanata's Castle, Starship Sabers and Scoundrels. Uh, there's also Beltway Bontas, which is really cool because it binds both Star Wars and politics. So if you're both minds, it's definitely the podcast for you. There's also the Animaniacast, so if you're a big Animaniacs fan, that's definitely the podcast for you, and they're also Raw Paulson approved. There's also the DeuceCast Movie Show, so just like the title suggests, they are a movie podcast, and those guys have been doing it for over 350 episodes now, so they definitely know what they're doing over there. And there's also the Techno Retro Dads, so if you love old school stuff, and of course you do because you listen to the Rcast, you love the Techno Retro Dads because they cover stuff in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, not only just video games, but also toys, commercials, things like that. And yeah, there's also us with Rcast, so be sure to find us on, on iTunes where you can subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Stitcher and also Google Play Music, so there's absolutely no reason to not listen to the Rcast. And yeah, that's another episode of Rcast Mini in the books. Until next time, keep it retro. And fun fact, I didn't know Ron Gilbert worked on Thimbleweed Park. <laughs> Whoops! Well, we can't know everything in that case. Yeah, so. <laughs> sh- sh- shout out to Vincent for hooking up the interview, and shout out to Vincent for giving me that quick history lesson. Thank you, Vincent. Yes. <laughs> very good, very but, good. But yeah, everybody go check out uh, Broken Sword when it releases September 21st on Switch. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm Chris Wilson. And I'm Dylan Gregory. And we host Backstage Gaming, a weekly podcast about video games and storytelling. We both play pretend professionally. Sometimes on stage with other people. And sometimes alone in a soundproof room. So join us every Monday while we talk about games, acting, and how a story comes together. Backstage Gaming. Dramatic takes on your favorite games. Part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.